If you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. <laughs> you tell him, Senator. Senator Booker stands up. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with From you. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets for you. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Welcome to, once again, our special coverage, special broadcast coverage of the second 2020 Democratic presidential debate in Detroit, Michigan, following... Uh, Night number one, we have night number two. And yes, 10 more Democratic candidates who took the stage for another two and a half hours or so on Wednesday night. We've got clips and smart people standing by with keen analysis. No pressure. Uh, But uh, quickly, first, as we like to do, uh, corrections up front whenever possible. After yesterday's special coverage of Debate 2 Night 1, I received a bit of a correction from listener Mark Do, uh, Docarte and apologize, uh, apologies there for most likely screwing your name up, Mark. Um, anyway, comment via the Twitters where you all can reach me at the Brad blog. Uh, it's a correction in uh, to my re- response, my offhanded uh, comment, quick reference on yesterday's show to former Maryland uh, congressman and presidential candidate John Delaney. As a former healthcare executive, Mark tweets at me to say Delaney was not a healthcare executive. He was an insurance executive. And yes, there is a difference. He says, when our car makes a funny noise, do we call our auto insurance agent and tell him to bring a wrench? Insurance is insurance, not health care, says Mark. Fair enough. And thank you for the correction. And with that out of the way, uh, let's see what I or my guests today will screw up on uh, today's show. Uh, well, as I said, it was night two of the Democratic debate in Detroit on Wednesday featuring. And I am going to list them all here since who knows if 
I'll, we'll have a chance to say their names again. Ten more candidates, including former vice president and perceived frontrunner Joe Biden, California Senator Kamala Harris, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, entrepreneur Andrew Yang, former HUD Secretary Julian Castro, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee, Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, and New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. Now, some perhaps good news today for those of you who think that not only is the um, is the rent too damn high, but there's also too damn many candidates in this race. Well, New York Times reports today that as of today, anyway, just seven candidates out of the 20 or more, uh, just seven have so far met the higher inclusion requirements for the next debate in September. So far, qualifying for that debate are Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, Harris, O'Rourke, surprisingly, uh, Sanders and Warren. There is still time for that list to change before the end of August. Uh, and candidates uh, Julian Castro, uh, Andrew Yang and Amy Klobuchar are said to be close to qualifying. But the field of debaters could be cut off uh, or at least cut in half or more by the time we do this again in September. So Tuesday and Wednesday may have been the last time you see some of these folks on the debate stage. And on Wednesday night in Detroit, it was the perceived frontrunner Joe Biden who served as the evening's pinata, taking the bulk of the fire from both uh, candidates and CNN moderators alike. I asked the vice president point blank, did he use his power to stop those deportations? He went right around the question. Mr. Vice President, you want to be president of the United States. You need to be able to answer the tough questions. Mr. Vice President, you can't have it both ways. You invoke uh, President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient right. and then dodge it when it's not. Your plan, by contrast, leaves out almost 10 million Americans. So I think that you should really think about what you're saying. Joe Biden told wealthy donors that nothing fundamentally would change if he were president. If you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. First of all, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. There's a saying in my community, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Uh, you need to, you need to Ouch. Uh, nonetheless, Biden, who is uh, also perceived as a centrist, I guess, in this contest, uh, he held his own, it seems to me, at least a bit better than he did in the last debate in June on NBC, where he suffered some pretty withering uh, unanswered shots from Kamala Harris, who then vaulted into the so-called top tier thereafter. And with that, she, too, became the target of a number of attacks from other candidates on Wednesday night. The second night of CNN's debate was, like the night before, ultimately substantive on a host of issues, I think, even with the truncated times allowed for responses. Uh, though it does seem that CNN may have learned a bit after the first night's experience, uh, for which they were roundly and justifiably criticized for being too strict in that regard. And even with CNN's predilection for trying to create conflict between the candidates, there was, I think, a lot of substance that still came out in the two and a half hour forum even if there were still no questions on the ongoing years-long GOP attacks on our democracy and threats to our voting system. 
Happily, there was at least one question late in the evening about how the candidates intend to take on and defeat Donald Trump, which, at least to me and many voters as well, according to polls, remains the number one issue for uh, whoever may be the ultimate 2020 Democratic nominee. Joining us now to try and make sense of night two of debate two is, of course, our own Desi Doyen, who has been doing impossible yeoman's work (laughs) in following all of this and pulling clips for us. Yes, I am still here and still awake. Good day, Ms. Desi. (laughs) Uh, are you happy there won't be another debate until September, by yes, the way? Yes, I am. And I will say that and maybe one night instead of two. Exactly. And, and, and in September, there will be climate forums, climate town halls. So I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked about that. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Also with us once again today, uh, as our through line from night one's debate on Tuesday night is Jackie Schechner, longtime journalist, former producer at CNN, later becoming communications director for the nation's largest healthcare reform campaign during the Obama era. She also worked with Al Gore's Climate Reality Project and most recently served with the Committee to Investigate Russia. Welcome back, Ms. Schechner. Oh, it's great to be back. Good to have you here. And another longtime friend and friend of the show, David Dayan, is here today. He is, of course, the prolific investigative journalist uh, whose work has appeared at The Intercept, The New Republic, HuffPost, Washington Post, L.A. Times, and many, many other outlets. His first book, uh, 2016's Chain of Title, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Great Foreclosure Fraud, was the winner of the Studs and Ida Turkle Prize. And since the last time I believe we spoke on air with him on this program... So a big congratulations is now due. David is now the executive editor of The American Prospect. Congratulations and welcome back, amigo. Thank you, sir. That's very ex- That's very very exciting actually. Uh, okay, uh, very quickly, let's start with uh, full disclosures here. We like transparency. Jackie, uh, yesterday you told us that you are uh, not yet in the bag for anyone, still sort of shopping around, uh, though you mentioned some fears you have about Elizabeth Warren. Has anything changed, uh, which I won't make, I won't give you trouble for, has anything changed on that front uh, following night two of the debates for you? No, it's not fears of Elizabeth Warren at all. I really like her. I just want to clarify that. It's just a fear that Trump may have branded her in a way that may stick. And so there's just that fear. Um, no, I mean, I, I have... I think people did an excellent job last night. Um, I, I've, I'm wavering a little bit on some people that I was high on before last night, and mm-hmm. some people have been elevated in my mind. But we can we can get onto that if you want. We will. Uh, I, well, we will. Uh, but just suffice to say, you ain't working for anybody in particular. Uh, and no, 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 no. <laughs> there's no, there's no uh, disclaimer that needs to be laid out in terms of. I don't have a, a, a dog in the fight yet. Gotcha. No. All right, David. Uh, I, I don't imagine you have a dog in the fight, but uh, are you? do you have a personal candidate for whom you are in the tank at this point, or are you leaning toward or against anyone in particular? I am a journalist, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think anyone who's read the, the mm-hmm. years of, of, of things that I've written about and yeah. knows what my focuses are and what my interests are would say that they line up pretty well with the focuses and interests of uh, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, that that's just sort of undeniable, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to hide that. But um, again, I, I uh, try to try to look at these things and assess these things uh, in a in neutral fashion. 
Very good. Thank you, sir. And he is a journalist. You can check out prospect.org for proof of that. And you should. And you should. Okay. Uh, big picture stuff before we sort of drill down. Uh, Jackie, as as noted, you're sort of our through line from yesterday. Uh, you were very critical yesterday of your old employers at CNN uh, on yesterday's show, largely for their right-wing framing of many of the issues uh, and, and the questions that were asked on Tuesday night. Did CNN's moderators do any better on that score as you see it on night two? It felt like they calmed down a little bit. Um, it did feel a little bit better in terms of allowing people to speak mm -hmm. or at least finishing out their sentences in longer periods of time. I thought the audio was worse. They had some audio glitches where if you're going to be hosting a debate uh, of this magnitude, you should work that stuff out beforehand. Um, I didn't like the fact that they repeated that lengthy open with the sports-like announcements and introducing the candidates the way they did. I know that they probably wanted to keep things uniform, but mm -hmm. they were largely criticized for wasting that much time the first night. I would think that they would want to make some adjustments, adjustments the second, and they didn't. Um, overall, it did feel a little more smooth. Um, but again, I mean, I have to be super critical of the uh, framing of the questions and the way that they tried to pit the candidates against each other. I think it does a huge disservice when they try to gin up a fight uh, that doesn't need to be there. Uh, and I also don't like the fact that they had nothing better to talk about to, but to bring up the busing issue again. Yeah. Um, I think that there were you know, plenty of topics that didn't get addressed, including protecting Roe v. Wade uh, and uh, anything to do with uh, gun control. I mean, there were a lot of issues that just didn't even get mentioned, and yet they felt compelled to try to get Biden and Harris to fight over busing again. So mm. there was some laziness there uh, from a journalistic standpoint, and I don't think they did uh, any any service to the country by trying to make people fight against each other. Uh, it did feel a little bit smoother than the night before, but overall, I mean, I think if I had to grade it, I, I think it was kind of a, a low C at best. David, you were also highly critical of the uh, CNN moderators uh, in an article you published at The Prospect on Wednesday. Uh, I thought, uh, d despite the right-wing framing on Tuesday, there was still quite a bit of substance that was able to break through on both nights. Uh, did did the forum get any better as you saw it on Wednesday than it was on Tuesday? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote Wednesday that everyone uh, in, uh, who works at CNN should should walk to Jeff Zucker's office and, and resign on mm. mass, and uh, I, I see no reason to, to change my view. I, I, I mean, let's let's be clear that yeah. the format is is really bad too, and uh, the fact that you have ten people on stage for this somewhat limited time. Uh, and you feel the need to uh, sort of fairly distribute the time mm -hmm. uh, to everybody is, is, you know, it ends up being problematic. Perhaps the worst outcome of the next uh, sort of winnowing would be if 10 candidates make it again, because mm -hmm. then there would be this, this uh, impetus to, to throw them all on the stage again, mm -hmm. and we'll have the same kind of situation. But certainly... If there was a a worse way to present, you know, given the given the raw materials there, that you have ten people on stage and you're trying to get them all involved. There was a worse way to do it. It would be the way that uh, CNN tries to put two people in the octagon uh, with every question, mm -hmm. which all the questions might as well be you and him fight, and then you and her <laughs> fight, and then. You fight with someone from the previous night because we want you two to fight, but you're not on stage at the same time. Uh, that's, that's
that's basically what we saw. And and uh, it it you know as Fez Shakir, Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign manager, said on CNN mm-hmm. uh, days before the, uh, the 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 debates, he said, I, "I think these debates make everyone stupider." Mm. And uh, uh, you know, uh, props to Fez there because I, I have to agree. Uh, there were um, any surprises? Uh, there weren't many surprises, I don't think, on night one. On night two, I think there was big, uh, a few more. And so I'm wondering if if either of you uh, were surprised about anyone or anything. Uh, let me, let me start with one or two myself here. I thought Andrew Yang was actually very impressive, and that not as much surprise there because I've seen him before. But I was I was I was sort of happy. Because uh, he was a bit lackluster last month, and I think that he actually has some really interesting ideas that I'm happy to see added to the conversation, even if it's unlikely that he will become the next president. Uh, and one of those I want to ask uh, you about in a second, David. Uh, I also thought Washington Governor Jay Inslee, who I admit sort of having a soft spot for because of his push uh, to make climate cr- the climate crisis a, a priority. I thought he came across much better on Wednesday uh, than he did last month and as more thoughtful and smart than I had seen him previously. But that might have been due to his new glasses. Um, (laughs) Jackie, uh, we'll start with David. Anybody or anything jump out at you last night uh, that you did not expect? I'm going to steal my thunder. Yeah, that's what what I'm hoping. What's that? So, yeah, I mean... Certainly, Inslee uh, has a reason to be on that stage, mm-hmm. uh, and he's articulated it very clearly uh, and very directly. Uh, we we know why he's there. That that the same cannot be said of about half the people <laughs> on this stage the last two nights. But you know why Inslee's there. He thinks that this is a, an emergency, and that we have a limited amount of time. And that the time for uh, you know mm. waffling around on the issue is over. But were there any surprises for you? anything you did not expect uh, last night from anyone or or anything about it? I mean, not really. I I, I think uh, Tulsi Gabbard's rather baffling, uh, 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 rather one-sided fight against Kamala Harris mm-hmm. is kind of interesting that she declined the opportunity to go after Joe Biden for Mm -hmm. uh, his vote on the war in Iraq, even though that's the animating issue of her campaign, uh, and pivoted to, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. attacking uh, Harris wherever she possibly could. I don't know what the rationale is there. Uh, uh, Maybe she's running for a spot in the Biden administration. I I don't know. (laughs) But... um, uh, as far as surprising, that that might be it. Jackie, did he steal your thunder, or do you still have surprises? No, I've got surprises. All right, what'd you uh, find? So I'll start. I'll start with Cory Booker. Yeah. Um, I think he's always been impressive. I think he really impressed me last night. Uh huh. Um, I thought he had a, a good command of not only the issues but of the way that he, uh, the way that he relayed. Uh, the way that the way that he came across, I thought, was very well composed. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed calm and in command. After the first debate, I thought, oh, Kamala Harris could definitely take on Trump. Like, that was the impression she left me with. Mm-hmm. Cory Booker left me with that impression last night. Yeah, time. me too. Um, I thought that he, yeah, I thought that he was the kind of person who could go up against Trump and win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he made that clear last night. I, I don't know, 
it's very hard because I look at someone like Elizabeth Warren and I put her in a different category than Cory Booker. Like, I think that she's presidential material at this point. I don't know if Booker's 100% ready, um, but I, I liked him a lot last night. The other thing I really liked about him, which I don't know if a lot of people picked up on, is not only did he handle the protesters incredibly well, but then afterwards, uh, his campaign put out on Twitter, I assume it wasn't him, because he would then be tweeting from the podium, uh, put out on Twitter, a congratulations to the protesters. Like, thank you for speaking mm. up. It was, he didn't, he didn't debase them. He didn't, he basically celebrated their use of their First Amendment rights to, to speak up on something that was important to them, and I liked that. I thought that was very classy. Um, the other thing that I thought was uh, surprising last night was how much Joe Biden faltered. Mm. Um, and I say that with great admiration for Joe Biden. I think he's an incredible public servant. I think he's had a wonderful career. I think he deserves to be celebrated for all of the good he's done for this country. Um, but I think last night, and I'm I, again, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it, that I think that, that he showed last night that this is not his time anymore. Um, and I think that his his faltering was evident. I think that he seemed, um, he, he didn't have the fire that some of the younger candidates had. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when he did try to show that fire, he came across as yelling. Um, and I think at the end, when he gave away uh, what was supposed to be text my name to this number and Jesus delivered Christ. it as if it were a website, yeah. showed his age. Yes. It showed his age. And, I, and it was a huge mistake. Um, and, I, and I think that that's the kind of thing that's going to lose him support when people think about the current status quo and the possibility for a next generation of leadership. Why? I want to stick with Booker for a second. Uh, and He did not surprise me last night because I've always thought that he was smart and likable and funny and energetic and sort of a happy warrior. He's got, uh, you know, sort of aggressively progressive policies for the most part. I, what surprises me is that he has not caught fire up until now. And uh, I don't know, either one of you, David, got any theories and, and, and why he has yet to catch fire? And will that change after his performance on Wednesday night when he had some pretty sharp exchanges with Joe Biden? It's a little curious. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to presume that I have my finger on the pulse of the electorate. Oh, but, yes, you do. Um, no, I really don't. Oh, but, okay. Uh, it is a little curious. I mean, I think that Booker is a little held back by a perception mm-hmm. uh, that has been built uh, on the left of him being cozy with private equity, being uh, cozy with you know education reformers, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 things like that. But his record in the Senate is is generally pretty laudable. Mm-hmm. He has a very good bill uh, asking for a moratorium on uh, agriculture mergers and food mergers. Uh, that is one of the more far-reaching uh, proposals against corporate power that anybody has put together in this race. So, uh, you know, there, there is a, a resume item there. And, and, and obviously he's a, a very credible speaker, uh, very passionate. Uh, and, and you'd think would have, you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the elements, but I, I, I think there's just, you know, this sort of perception of the past is holding him back. Uh, you know, there's a certain sense that he's, he's kind of a try-hard kind of guy, uh, and, and, and maybe that is is getting in the way, but we'll we'll see how the polls yeah we'll we'll out. we'll see how it goes because I I think he should be doing better than he has been doing, and so 
we'll see if things uh, change in the days ahead. Uh, David, since I mentioned... Can I just, yeah, can oh, I just add something? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is going to be interesting to see is that if Elizabeth Warren uh, comes out as, as the nominee for president, she's going to have to pick a vice president, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at this point, it's looking like maybe Pete Buttigieg or Julian Castro or Cory Booker, like some of these guys who are really impressive uh, but don't seem to have that front-runner status quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worry that Booker's a really viable candidate for that spot, but because he's also a Northeasterner, um, that they may overlook him. Mm. And that, you know, like I think geographically that may work against him, that he would be a good running mate for someone like Elizabeth Warren, yeah. but because he's a fellow Northeasterner, that that may disqualify him. And, I, and I'd, be, I'd be frustrated by that because I think, I think he's a very good possibility. And, um, yeah. I'm really just so worried about that. Geography may work against him. I, 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 don't, I don't think ticket balancing is, I, I think that's somewhat of an antiquated concept. Uh, is it? That it would be great if you're right. I mean, I, I, I it didn't stop uh, Hillary Clinton from picking Tim Kaine, who came from a, a similar area of the country. I, I, I just don't think that that. And how did that go? That's a major. That's a major. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out. But <laughs> it's not like it didn't work out because she didn't pick someone from New Mexico. I mean, I, it just these are national elections now. Uh, yeah. you, you don't you don't put somebody on the ticket to carry a section of the country. It just does not seem like. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it just doesn't seem like the way of the world anymore. I mean, mm. maybe I'm maybe I'm completely off base, and everyone's going to be clamoring for oh, Derek Brown you're... to win yeah. Ohio. But it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I hope you're right about that, David. I really hope you're right. <laughs> uh, uh, before I get to a break here, very quickly, I, I want to play this because uh, I mentioned entrepreneur uh, Andrew Yang. And since we've got you here today, David, uh, with your financial uh, journalistic chops, uh, let me play Yang's opening statement here real quick regarding a universal basic income for all, $1,000 a month for every man and woman in America. And then I want to ask you a quick question about it. If you've heard anything about me and my campaign, you've heard that someone is running for president who wants to give every American $1,000 a month. I know this may sound like a gimmick, but this is a deeply American idea from Thomas Paine to Martin Luther King to today. Why do we need to do it? We already automated away millions of manufacturing jobs, and chances are your job could be next. If you don't believe me, just ask an auto worker here in Detroit. How do we pay for it? Raise your hand in the crowd if you've seen stores closing where you live. It is not just you. Amazon is closing 30% of America's stores and malls and paying zero in taxes while doing it. We need to do the opposite of much of what we're doing right now, and the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. So let me share the math. $1,000 a month for every adult would be $461 million every month right here in Detroit alone. The automation of our jobs is a central challenge facing us today. It is why Donald Trump is our president, and any politician not addressing it is failing the American people. So, uh, David Dayen, well, does that proposal make sense? Is it insane? Can we afford it? And what can you uh, tell me about it in the 30 seconds or so that I have before I have to get to a break? Do you think that people in in the world need maybe more than $12,000 a year to to live? Of course, yes. But it would go a long way, would it not? I'm not saying it wouldn't help, but it doesn't solve any problem that he's uh, purporting it that it would solve. Hmm. If jobs are all going to be euthanized, 
and nobody is going to be able to find a job anymore, a thousand dollars a month ain't gonna cut it <laughs> in 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 that that scenario. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm more on team job guarantee. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, he misappropriated Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was for a job for anyone who wants it. That uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that we we have a lot that needs done in America. And uh, I, I would rather channel resources so that those things get done rather than uh, uh, the situation that, uh, that Yang is describing. He's also <laughs> completely off base on Amazon uh, being a, a primary factor in, in retail closures. Uh, I can talk to you for long amounts of time about how the private equity industry is entirely uh, a, a greater factor than Amazon in the retail apocalypse. But, and uh, I suspect I, uh, you will do that on a future program. Uh, at least I hope. Let me take a quick break here and come back with uh, David Dayan of The Prospect and Jackie Schechner and, of course, Desi Doyen. Special coverage of Debate 2, Night 2, right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Joe Biden told wealthy donors that nothing fundamentally would change if he were president. Kamala Harris said she's not trying to restructure society. Well, I am. For 40 years, working people have taken it on the chin in this country. For 40 years, the rich have gotten richer and they paid less and less in taxes. It cannot go on this way when I'm president. We will even up the score and we will tax the hell out of the wealthy. Because I'm the tax man. Yeah, yeah. I'm the tax man. Welcome back. It's Bradcast's special coverage of Debate 2, night number two out of Detroit, Michigan. I'm Brad Friedman. That was New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announcing his plan to tax the hell out of the wealthy to pay for the many so-called big ideas that he is calling for. Uh, whether America wants those big ideas or just wants to uh, get the hell rid of Donald Trump, that's a different question, though one that was much debated on Wednesday night, I think, uh, at the Democratic debate on CNN. We've got David Dayan and Jackie Schechner with us here today to make sense of it all, hopefully. As with the first night, health care took up much of the first part of the debate uh, with the various competing plans from Medicare for all to the public option. Uh, passionately, if sometimes cryptically debated. Uh, As I mentioned, Joe Biden took a lot of the heat last night. So did his call to stick with the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, but expand on it with a public option for folks to buy in, which some criticized as not covering enough people and continuing to be a gift to the private insurance industry. While he pushed back against uh, more ambitious plans from folks like Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and de Blasio as being unrealistic and too expensive. Here's one of the exchanges on this with Biden and Harris going at it a bit. 
This is not a Republican talking point. The Republicans are trying to kill Obamacare. And in fact, what we got is a public option that in fact would allow anybody to buy in. No one has to keep their private insurance. They can buy into this plan. And if they don't have any money, they'll get in free. So this idea is a bunch of malarkey, what we're talking about here. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that there will be a deductible. It will be a deductible in their paycheck. Bernie acknowledges it. $30 trillion has to ultimately be paid. And I don't know what math you do in New York I don't know what math you do in California, but I tell you, that's a lot of money, and there will be a deductible. The deductible will be out of your paycheck. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about the fact that the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies last year alone profited $72 billion, and that is on the backs of American families. And under your plan, status quo, you do nothing to hold the insurance companies to, to task for what they have been doing to American families. In America today, a diabetes patient's one in four cannot afford their insulin. It is immoral, it is Thank untenable, you, and it must change up, with Senator. Medicare for all. I have the only plan that limits the ability of insurance companies to charge unreasonable prices. We should put some of these insurance executives who totally oppose my plan in jail for the nine billion opioids they sell out there. We immediately are able to cover everybody who wants to get off of their insurance plan they don't like, no matter what one it is, and buy into a Medicare option. David Day, and you've got an important piece over at the uh, at, at the American Prospect today that I want to ask you about regarding this. But quickly, it, there's been a lot of controversy about uh, some of the more progressive plans that would effectively or even statutorily ban private insurance uh, and about the costs for those plans. Is it, in fact, something that we can afford uh, as the numbers? I'm hoping you can clarify this because the numbers sort of went from three trillion to 30 trillion during the course of the debate, as I heard it uh, last night. So I'm not sure what is right as far as what would need to be raised for a single payer Medicare for all style plan. Is it realistic? You say you uh, you sort of like uh, Elizabeth Warren and presumably her her plan for uh, health care for all. Is this realistic or is this pie in the sky and we need to go with something safer and more comfortable like uh, Joe Biden is discussing here? Um, Medicare for all system would save money. Uh, we know that because the Koch funded Mercatus Center, mm -hmm. uh, which put together uh, the, the very uh, study that Joe Biden and these others are quoting, uh, said that a uh, system that where the government would would cover all medical costs mm -hmm. would actually cost $32 trillion over a 10-year period. But doing nothing right now would cost Americans, through their uh, total national health expenditures, $34 trillion. So the, the overall savings to America from moving into a single-payer system is $2 trillion over 10 years. Uh, uh, that is the fact. Uh, if I give you, uh, say to you, here's a tax bill for $2,000, but you don't have to pay your $5,000 premium anymore, mm -hmm. you would say to me, that sounds good. Uh, the fact that it has the word tax on it does not create a magic talisman <laughs> that is suddenly a different source of money or, or more money than it was than if you're paying your insurance premium bill or your copay 
or your 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 mm-hmm. first uh, set of costs through a deductible, all of which under the uh, single payer program that has been proposed would be wiped away. Uh, and so this entire conversation about cost is a complete red herring. Can uh, I just say that, David, uh, you have just explained that and responded to that question in a more clear, uh, concise, and understandable matter than any of those candidates I've seen over the past two days on that stage, frankly, really. Well, it's a bad problem Yeah. Uh, in that, first of all, we're spending all this time on health care because it's the one topic mm-hmm. where there's the biggest degree of differentiation between the candidates. Right. So it may not be the top priority of everybody, but it's the top priority of a, a, a theater organization like CNN who wants to see people fight. So that takes up this massive amount of, of, of time and creates this position in people's mind that uh, all Democrats want to do is, is is, is take away your health care is ironically that's enough. the second part of it which is the framing of these right which are designed to create conflict uh is to uh say we're going to take away your insurance we're going to we're going to you know mm-hmm. battle you with these giant charges uh without context without the the explanation of what that all means. Jackie. And, uh, honestly, the candidates have to do a better job. This isn't hard to explain. No, it's not. You proved it. Uh, Jackie Schechner, <laughs> uh, as someone who spent years working with the nation's largest health care reform group, d- d- did you find that last night's long discussion clarified anything, or did it just make it all more muddy and confusing for Americans who obviously need David Dayan to explain it to the world? <laughs> No, I mean, it, it made it muddy, icky waters, and it was totally unnecessary. I mean, it's, I think we need to, to, to bring this up to a higher level at this point and just say that you've got a, you're going to have a choice in the election between somebody who wants to do something about the broken health care system and somebody who doesn't care about the broken health care system, has no plan for it, has no interest in fixing it, and is simply interested in dismantling anything that President Obama put into place. And so when you get the Democratic candidates, arguing about minutia that 90% of the American population doesn't really understand, all you're doing is creating a communications, a, a larger communications nightmare down the line. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very um, interesting lift, but it's going to be a communications lift. And I think that simplifying everything is the way to go. I've been thinking a lot lately about the best ways to describe this kind of thing. I think David tapped into something there when you talk about you know, were you willing to pay $2,000 in your tax bill versus $5,000 over the course of the year? That's an easy decision to make. Mm-hmm. I think when we talk about what single payer is, I think it's important to explain to people that it's a payment system, that you're not turning every private hospital and doctor's office into a government-run IRS DMV-type program. Um, I think that there's, I think there's a lot of communications work to be done. I think you need to get the right people on it, and you need to think outside of Washington. Um, but at the same time, I mean, spending this much time and getting into the weeds on it just hands the Republicans exactly what they need mm. to say, you know, do you want your health care delivered by the DMV? It's the same reason I get on Joe Biden every time he uses the word Obamacare, right? It's a terrible nickname for the Affordable Care Act, which has done a lot of really good things for a lot of people. And when you talk about it like it's one giant monolithic bureaucratic program, you're just playing into the hands of the fear that the insurance companies and the hospitals and, and everybody who's fighting against dismantling the current medical industrial complex wants you to do and, and it so doesn't right 
it, it I'm also, sorry, yeah, well, I was going to say, it also doesn't hurt to uh, to lead your explanation of this with uh, what David did, the with, with the news that the Koch brothers have said it will save the nation $2 trillion. I, that's pretty effective. Yeah. Very quickly, uh, David, at uh, the prospect, you also note uh, today in an article which really deserves its own interview. So apologies that you'll need to be quick on this for now. Uh, and I'll link folks over to this uh, story uh, from tonight blog item when I post the show, but you call out the Democrats for being unwilling to call out one of the largest drivers of health care costs, which is the powerful and often uh, monopolistic hospital system, hospital companies. And yes, they they are often uh, for-profit companies, correct? Yeah, it's really strange. I mean, every single attack on the broken health care system talks about the, the, the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry. And it's almost like there's a swear jar off stage <laughs> where candidates will be fined $10,000 if they say the word hospitals. <laughs> and, you know, at some level I understand this. Uh, uh, the hospitals have the doctors that heal us. Uh, insurance companies have the agents that hassle us. I mean, I know that the low-hanging fruit is to make the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry the villain. But the fact of the matter is you are not going to change anything meaningful about the health care system until you talk about prices. And the, the drivers of the high prices that we pay in this country, higher than any other industrialized nation, go right through these very concentrated, very large hospital networks all over the country. And uh, the failure to talk about it doesn't put you in the position to actually overhaul the system. Mm. It creates a situation where uh, you, in the end, have to buy them off to get anything done. Uh, and, and frankly, a lot of that was done in the Affordable Care Act, and uh, it, it ultimately leaves you disappointed in, in what the reform will be. We, we need to talk about things like surprise billing. We need to talk about things like uh, the you know, uh, uh, an ER charging $238 for eye drops. We, we need to talk about this stuff because uh, just, just hiding it does nobody any good. It, mm. it, it makes it look like you're not actually serious about about changing the system at where where it needs to be changed. Well, there's, and Jackie, you were, uh, as you were working on reform during the Obamacare era, which I know you hate, but the afford passing uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, the hospitals were actually sort of big allies. The hospital companies were, were big allies to uh, getting passage of ACA. Were they not? Well, yeah, I mean, what they had to do was neutralize the biggest threat. And it's the same thing they did with the pharmaceutical companies. Is they turned around and made some compromises that the pharmaceutical industry wouldn't attack them during the fight for reform. They also tried to play nice with the insurance industry, and we saw how that panned out. I think that these are all incredibly important conversations that we need to have. But we need to have them, I think, after we get a Democrat in office. Mm. And, and I say that not in terms of pushing them to the side, but I think we need to just put them on the back burner for right now because they're the nuances that allow more points to attack. And they really and I just think, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I think I just wanted to jump in that they really, all of these issues point toward money and politics and the corrupting yeah, I mean, influence. You can't, you can't, right. You can't do much until you, until you get money out of politics. And that's a whole nother argument and fight. Yeah. Um, and I think a huge lift and a, and a really important one to have. Um, but I just think right now what this does is 
not setting up, I, I, I can't overstate this enough, is that I, I think that drawing the distinction between the status quo and the anger and the vitriol and the racism and the sexism and the debasing of, of our country on the international stage and, and the rise of white nationalism, like everything that's happening in this country right now is so dangerous. And there's two options, right? There's either you allow another four years of this or you correct course and you bring this country back to a country that we can be proud of. And I just think that that's the big picture that we need to get across right now because whoever's going to be the nominee on the Democratic side, I mean, yes, we need them to be electable. We need it to be somebody that can appeal to a wide range of voters and not just the hardcore base of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. But I think that you've got to tap into that like, we've got a big choice to make here, and I think that that's what's most important right now, is there's going to be a huge swath of anti-Trump voters uh, who are going to go with whoever the Democrat happens to be, and I don't think the nuance of single-payer versus public option is going to be what makes a decision for them. I think it's going to be, do you want another four years of the president being in the news every millisecond and really being afraid for the future of our country, or do you want to go back to your regular life and not have to worry about this every second of every day and being able to turn on the news and knowing that your kids are not going to see something that they shouldn't be seeing. God, that sounds so uh, nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, Dave, go ahead real quick. And Jackie, I, I understand that, and that, that's fine. I, we are in a primary, and uh, primaries are where parties sort out their priorities and, and what they think is the best way forward to set a vision for the country. And the other thing I would say is, is here's, here's what's happening in the absence of naming the enemy. Uh, right now, the Trump administration is engaged in a rulemaking to have hospitals disclose the negotiated payments that they make with insurance companies so that you, if you are in an ER, can see the difference between uh, what you're paying if you're out of network and, and what uh, the hospital is charging you know, uh, a, a different payer. And, right. Uh, the hospital industry is furious about this, and they are fighting it tooth and nail. And you're actually setting up a situation where Trump is kind of getting to the left of the Democrats on this issue. And there's no reason for that. It's, it's pure cowardice that Democrats won't name what is the source of this problem that they're listing at the top of these debates as the number one issue uh, facing people in their pocketbooks. And so I'm afraid not for the election and what you're going to end up saying in the election. I'm afraid for two things. The future of what happens should a Democrat get into office. And if, there are, if, if there's a failure to challenge power there, that uh, what that means for any, anything meaningful that would go forward, number one. And, and, and number two, during the general election, uh, if Donald Trump can point to saying, I, I tried to, you know, I took on the hospital industry and mm. I took on uh, the, the drug companies mm -hmm. uh, with this uh, kind of ridiculous deal uh, where he's trying to get drugs reimported from Canada uh, that was announced yesterday, uh, that, you know, if, if we aren't clear about naming what the problems are in this healthcare uh, uh, industry, if we, we, we retreat to this lazy uh, talk about the insurance industry as, 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 mud, as pernicious as they may be, 
uh, I fear that uh, you you start to lose less informed voters. I gotta I gotta get to a break here. As much as I'd love a uh, CNN style confrontation between the two of you <laughs> on this particular issue, we uh, we uh, are all family. Uh, we are. Uh, so, uh, Jackie, unless you have anything you need to say in response, uh, do you? No, I think I think he's right. I think he's absolutely right. I think that there's a definite challenge there. I just. I just think you lose people. The, to me, this is the most fascinating conversation. I could have it for hours and hours. I'm just not sure that the general public gets it yet. Got and so I just make sure that we don't lose them in the details, and I feel like we've done that on both nights. I love you um, both. i got to get to a break. You're both wonderful. Let me take a break. We'll come back with the last few minutes of our special coverage of the Democratic debate from Detroit, night number two, with Jackie Schechner and David Dayan. And we'll talk uh, very quickly about Kamala Harris, maybe on the rise, maybe not, but more things you might want to know about her before you consider voting for her. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Number one, we can no longer allow a white nationalist to be in the White House. Number one, let's get something straight. We love it. We are not leaving it. We are here to stay, and we're certainly not going to leave it to you. Who are we? And I think most of us know that part of the answer to that question is we are better than this. We must fight for the best of who we are. We have to get to the heart and soul of who we are as Democrats. We know who Donald Trump is, but in this election, the question is, who are we as a people? Mm -hmm. Good question. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, our closing few minutes here of our special coverage of De the uh, CNN Detroit Democratic debate uh, night number two as the Democrats try to figure out who the hell they are. We'll try to get some closing thoughts on that, but I want to very quickly, there was an excellent and at times brutal exchange between Cory Booker and Joy, uh, Joe Biden over criminal justice reform, which I, I think Booker got the better of Biden there, uh, though at least the vice president seemed to be more prepared to push back against his critics this time than he was last month in Miami. But since uh, David Dayan, over the years, uh, you've written a lot about Kamala Harris's career in California as our attorney general out here uh, before she moved on to the U.S. Senate. And as she has been rising in the polls while running very much on her prosecutorial record as California's AG, this this might be a good time to quickly discuss her record before she becomes the nominee, because I promise the Republicans will be doing so. Here was one exchange uh, between Hawaii, uh, uh, Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Kamala Harris, in which Gabbard hits the former prosecutor on a number of elements of her record. Senator Harris says she's proud of her record 
as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. She put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. And I am proud of that work. We created initiatives that were about re-entering former offenders and getting them counseling. I am an advocate for what Thank we you, need Senator. to do to your, not your only decriminalize, but legalize marijuana in the United States. I wanna, I so that was just a couple of things that uh, Tulsi Gabbard brought up in challenging uh, Kamala Harris, who was challenged by quite a few people. David Dayen, in her closing statement, uh, Harris led off by saying that as California's attorney general, she took on the big banks. Got any thoughts on any of this? Um, well, uh, that, that's one part of the tough on crime record that uh, I don't think matches with the facts. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know what more I can do here. I, I've tried and tried to sort of put the context mm -hmm. to uh, Kamala Harris's uh, long record of, uh, uh, you know, going along with the rest of uh, the country and, and failing to uh, hold accountable the people who uh, caused the greatest recession since the Great Depression. You wrote I, about I, how... I don't know what else I can do. Well, you can... You, in fact, wrote about, well, with our current... Um, but it was Treasury Secretary. Yeah, I was going to say what Commerce Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin likely would not have been the uh, Treasury Secretary right now had Kamala Harris actually acted on the information that her office had about his involvement with uh, mortgage fraud. Correct. I mean, it might have been more difficult. Uh, the the California Attorney General's office uh, requested that One West Bank be prosecuted uh, for. Uh, fraudulent actions, widespread misconduct mm -hmm. in the foreclosure process. And uh, Steve Mnuchin was the chair of that bank at the time, and Harris made the political decision not to prosecute. And, uh, and it was a political decision. I mean, uh, if, if you talk to the people who uh, were in that office, there was a very narrow political group around. Uh, th these were not career appointees. These were political appointees around Harris, everything filtered up, all the charging decisions and everything filtered up to this, this narrow group, and very little was done if it would offend or, or, or threaten uh, the, the future career of Kamala Harris. And, and, and that's really the, 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 the point here, is that she ran that office in a political manner, and, uh, and, and, and voters are going to have to figure out you know, is, 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 is that okay? Is it, is, did she do what she had to do to get uh, to the point where she is now, where she is in a position to succeed? Uh, or is that a model of how she might act once in office in terms of challenging power? And I, I really think that's the central issue facing America right now. Are you willing to challenge uh, those who have created this situation of soaring inequality, of climate emergency, of uh, 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 this huge gap between the rich
and over and over again. And, uh, you know, what, what Harris's re- response was to that when she was in power, when she had the opportunity, uh, in my view, was lacking. Uh, and I hope folks will look up uh, David's work on that. Uh, just search for David Day and, and Kamala Harris, and you'll probably find it. I got uh, one. Or go line. to my Twitter mentions, where every two seconds somebody retweets that damn thing. Well, <laughs> good. They should. Uh, the the news needs to get out. Uh, uh, Jackie Schechner, uh, final uh, thought here, because I got to get out of hard up against the clock. Are these debates so far serving to help define the Democratic Party? In the Trump era, and if so, in a good way or a, or a not so good way, as you see it. I mean, I think it's. I think we have a good a good group of of potentials, and so that makes me optimistic. I, it's going to be interesting to see how it it whittles down when you get the front runners all on stage together. I was just thinking as David was talking about Kamala Harris, how she would match up against Elizabeth Warren on these sorts of things, right? So I, I think you put them all together and and you see how it shakes out. I like I like what we've got up there. The question is going to be, uh, you know, who emerges and the electability against Donald Trump um, and, and how they take on Donald Trump, because this is not a normal election. It's not going to be a normal election. Um, and I think that n- normal politics as usual isn't going to work. So we have to take into consideration, you know, what we're bringing to the table and then how we're bringing it to the table. Uh, and, and it's going to be unlike anything we've seen before. Which is really what we need right around now. Something like we've never seen before, but that's what we get. Uh, all right, thank you very much, Jackie Schechner. Uh, you can follow her on the Twitters at Jackie Schechner. You can follow David Dayan on the Twitters at D Dayan, where they're always talking about his story regarding Kamala Harris, I hear. Uh, and, of course, you can find his work at prospect.org. Thank you to you both. Thanks to uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, for working through all of these clips and everything else. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. Uh, If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And that is solely thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me an email if you like. Uh, I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And if I got anything wrong, I'd love to hear from you as usual on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That is it. Thanks, guys. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 